It's uh, officially season eight. Yeah. We're now into episode two. Yeah. And it's the 27th of April, 2017. Pretty soon it'll be May. Yeah. Yeah. It's cold. It's, it's cold. weird. It's weird right now because yeah. I feel like I need my winter jacket. On Tuesday, I was wearing shorts. What's up? Yeah, I don't Come know. on, weather. Get, get it together. Make up your mind. Yeah. You know, there's snow predicted. For this, like, Sunday or Monday in Central In Central Iowa! I get it if you're, like, up by Minnesota, but Central Iowa... It definitely snowed yesterday in Minnesota. Did it really? Yeah. Wow. I got a picture. A couple pictures. Wow. Like a dusting? It looked like it was a little bit more than a dusting. Yeah. A little less than, like, the street plow. <laughs> Somewhere between a dusting and Yeah, like, and a should plow. I shovel? Mm, you know, kind of indecisive on the fence. But but well below school closure. Yeah. yeah. I think we just came up with, like, the Buford scale for wind. <laughs> we have the, the Hodgson scale for snow. <laughs> How much energy do you want to expect? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so that's uh, something uh, to think about, um, given that it's April, uh, pretty much May. You can just round up to May. And now's the time when planting should be going on, right? Normally, yeah. yes. Yeah, but there's seems like there's very little. We were talking so depends uh, on where you are in the state, I guess. Yeah, so this is Thursday. We have our lab meeting um, in the morning, and we were talking about planting because uh, that's important for the field work and all. The so much research. Right yeah, mm-hmm. and what we the one estimate out of NAS National Ag Statistics Service is something like eight percent. Of the corn crop is in for the eight. state of Iowa. Yeah, yeah. eight, eight, mm-hmm. and soybeans weren't mentioned. Yeah, so seems like we're behind from where we were last year. Is that fair to say? I think we're we're probably behind the norm for planting rate, mm-hmm. um, but in certain parts of the state, in particularly the southeast, there are farmers that are pretty much done. They're wrapping up, really? so they've got their corn mm-hmm. in. They're moving to beans, and so I. They just haven't had the rain, and they haven't had yeah. the cold soil temps, and so they're able to move at a fairly regular pace. If you talk to, like, Brian Lang up in northeast Iowa, there's nothing happening. I mean, they're not doing weed control. They're not prepping soil or anything. It's too wet and too cold. And the uh, it's funny. You said that the southwest corner? Southeast. South, oh, sorry, southeast. Mm-hmm. Uh, central Iowa and north western iowa we have frost alerts yeah. or warnings for crazy yeah yeah it's been interesting uh we just got a bunch of bees in for a project that we're gonna that we're we're doing this uh spring and we could have taken them out into the field but we held back because of the cold temperature kept them at a place that was um you know isolated from the wind and maybe a little bit warmer because yeah it could be be really cold for the next three or four days Mm -hmm. yeah i I worry about those folks that were able to get some planting done those seeds sit in the soil they're not germinating they're susceptible to what i would like to think of like early season pests like grubs and wireworms where it's really easy to attack the seed at that time so i I just say and my advice would just be to make sure that the seeds are doing okay um, they're not being consumed by pests, even if they are germinating. 
um, hopefully the soil temps warm up so they can outgrow some of those pests. The good thing is that um, most, well, all insects are cold-blooded. So as much as the crop and planting is delayed, you know, it's, this also slows their development. But um, that doesn't deny that they could be out there and they're probably going to, yeah, they're more responsive to changes in the temperature than, um, than our plants. Yeah, I've, I've done a couple of accumulated degree day uh, predictions for a lot of the pests that I do every year. And, and right now I would expect that if you had alfalfa, um, bean leaf beetles, should, the adults should be active. And also alfalfa weevils um, should be laying eggs and being active throughout the state of Iowa. So if you do happen to have alfalfa, it's greening up. Um, and if weevils or bean leaf beetle have been an issue in the past, that is a pest to scout for now so that uh, as things start to, to green up and grow, they're not being defoliated completely. You know, I, I, didn't we have a title for our podcast a couple sessions ago, a couple episodes ago about, gosh, it's hot? <laughs> uh, and now we're complaining about it being cold. I know. Can't be satisfied. No. Can't be. Um, anyway, a couple things I wanted to talk about. Uh, I'm, I see you got a list too. I wanted to talk about uh, green bridges and uh, cover crops. Sure. And talk about the Leopold Center for Sustainable Agriculture here at Iowa State. What you got? Um, basically, uh, just talking about cool, wet soil. So we did that a little bit. Um, and then maybe a few migratory pest updates. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's start with the... Um, Green bridge, cover crops, and migratory pests, because I think those are a bit related. Yeah, yep, they are. Um, you had a really nice article that the Corn and Soybean Digest really liked. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Five-finger discount. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> come on now. Oh. What did they say about copying is the biggest form of flattery or something? Mm-hmm. Anyway, you had uh, uh, an article that came out April 24th. Maybe we'll put the link in the little sure, we can description do that. here. Scouting for pests in Iowa cover crops. So cover crops are becoming more common. Is that fair to say? Yeah. yeah. I think absolutely. Yeah. Although it's still a small fraction of the total acres that are cultivated in Iowa uh, have cover crops. But over the last five years, that that small percentage has gotten bigger. Exponentially uh, bigger. Is it really? Yeah. All right. Wow. Yeah. If you ask Sarah Carlson from PFI. PFI. Um, Shout out to Sarah. All right. Hey, Sarah. <laughs> Keep going. She's got that T-shirt. Have you seen their T-shirt that they sell? Don't farm naked? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Duly they're, noted. They're pretty clever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, one of the uh, so there's a bunch of good things that come from using cover crops. You're you know you're protecting the soil, maybe providing some nutrients, building up the quality of the soil over time. Um, but one of the challenges is, the, especially in the early season, the potential for the cover crop to serve as a green bridge. And this is a term that you used in your article, um, and I think it's one that I'd, I'd really like to repeat to farmers and crop scouts and all because. It's a, it's a nice ecological term for mm-hmm. what can happen when we provide habitat at times when typically for Iowa, uh, habitat doesn't exist or hasn't. So what cover crops do for migrating insects when this time of year is it provides habitat for them to you know, land, 
maybe feed for a little bit or just lay eggs. And then if that cover crop is removed, it's a bridge for the crop that gets planted in there. And so um, we talk about it as a green bridge because um, it's bridging the that pass from you know the cover to the main crop. And one of the big recommendations for using cover crops is to terminate and give about a two-week period before that main crop goes in. I think that's kind of universal, and I hear that across a lot of states. And, and for, most, for pest control or for agronomic? Well, for both. Yeah. You know, and the idea is that, you know, that two-week period should be sufficient to break up that bridge and allow um, your crop to kind of go undisturbed. Yeah, because you're reducing the comp- potential competition with that row crop as far as water and nutrient uptake and things like that. And then if the insects don't have anything to feed on between when the cover crop is terminated and when the row crop comes up, they either starve or they're forced to move. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that two-week uh, bridge burning um, can be a challenge. And Very challenging, yeah. And uh, rain and um, boy, it, we we've tested this where we've at, you know we've gone out to farm fields where the growers were were doing that to the best of their ability, and it didn't always prevent uh, injury from pests. There was some moving from even from the the dying cover crop to an emerging crop and. Uh, it's just something to keep uh, aware of because we, you know, recommendations are just that. They're recommendations, and uh, sometimes they can be really hard to follow. Um, yeah, sometimes reality gets in the way. Yeah, yeah. Weather, you talked about uh, rainy conditions. It makes it hard to get in the field and do that proper termination. And if it's too cold, sometimes the chemicals don't work. So there's a lot of things that can change the actual window uh, between the cover crop and the row crop. So mm-hmm. anyway, that want to bring that up, just kind of get that idea out there and um, encourage our farmers who are using cover crops to be a little bit more vigilant and wary about pests in those fields. Yeah, it's definitely a good idea to get out in the cover crops. I mean, even no matter what you're doing with them, if you're grazing, baling, or just mowing them down or whatever you're doing is to look for activity for caterpillars especially. If there's any sign of activity of defoliation or anything, it's a good chance that there will be some spillover, I mean, to some degree. So that's when scouting and cover crops and then potentially when the when the row crop comes up, you'll be able to make more timely decisions if you need to make a treatment. So it's yeah. my, my best recommendation. Yeah, it's funny. I don't mean to pick on the one graduate student, but we're doing a project where we're, um, we're going to start looking uh, at bee movement in... Uh, between uh, fields with and without prairies. And uh, he had a site uh, that he was supposed to, you know, scout and put some hives out at, and he came back and he said, yeah, I think I think he got the location wrong. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, it's uh, supposed to be a soybean field, but it was pasture. And I was like, no, I, it is a soybean field. That's the cover crop, and it's still too wet and cold for the farmer to clear the cover crop away. Um, and I, I suspect that's kind of, you know, this is in central Iowa, but I suspect from here up, that's kind of a, a shared experience. Mm-hmm. Anyway, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would I would further maybe just give an update you know, for those migratory pests that will take advantage of cover crops like black cutworm, uh, armyworm. The activity in Iowa has been really spotty, and that is it's a little bit different than the, some of the surrounding states like Illinois. They're reporting really high numbers of uh, captures of the migratory moths, and so they're. Um, their kind of spidey sense is raised up a little bit just because they've been getting uh, crazy high numbers. Iowa, to my knowledge, hasn't seen the really high numbers, although it's been pretty sporadic so far in April. So uh, another reason to get out there and look and cover crops is because we don't really have a good idea. Like I couldn't tell you certain parts of the state that have been um, hit pretty hard or not. So So does the um, IPM Center have their cutworm traps out mm-hmm. have they reported any it's just yet? it's it's spotty so far so yeah far. that's yeah. what i was referring to yep okay. mm-hmm. uh, so you might be able to find updates online at the what the icm yeah uh, when we when we get a significant capture of black cutworm armyworm and we're also doing european corn borer this year oh, yeah. uh we will let you know via oh, we eradicated european corn borer. oh man ah We'll let you know on ICM News. That's my, that's my best way to communicate to people with, with maps and prediction dates. Okay. Yeah. And then not all the pests that can show up uh, this time of year are ones that migrate. Some overwinter here. Absolutely. Like common stock borer. Yeah. That's one that uh, can show up in fields. Although it was not one that we found in a lot of cover cropped fields. Mm. It seemed to be more limited to field edges. Didn't seem to... Yeah, it's, it's always limited to field edges, um, but if you happen to have a lot of brome grass around the perimeter of the field, that's where they tend to be the worst, and they move from brome to things like ragweed or eventually could move to corn and soybean. Okay. Yeah, the degree days for stock board aren't quite warm enough for them to be moving around yet, but also I'll give people an update through ICM News when I, when I know more about stock boards. Okay. What else to talk about? Um, I just wanted to give a shout out. We have two students that are graduating from our labs. Oh, yeah. Eric Clifton is getting a PhD. He's uh, being co-advised by myself and Dr. Aaron Gassman. So he's wrapping up a, a PhD. And then you also have a student, Shelby Pritchard. Yeah, she finished her master's, did a great job um, working with us for the last couple, well, longer than the last couple of years. She worked for us as a master's student, but before then worked in the lab as an undergraduate for mm-hmm. several years. And made the transition. We've been uh, really lucky, blessed to have her work with us. She's been uh, fantastic, uh, uh, you know, not only in terms of her project, but helping out with rearing aphids, participating in other uh, experiments that uh, weren't part of her thesis, uh, and always just a kind of pleasant, cheerful, you know. Now, I've got Questions with her twice baked coffee. I think that's a poor choice. You know? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, I think Eric Nobody's has been perfect. here one of the longest students in the department. He's been here since 2010 because he did a master's first, oh, then yeah. he uh, started a PhD. So he's kind of like the old man on the block, and I think he's looking forward to moving on. So do we know where he's going? No, and he doesn't either. So oh. yeah. <laughs> Enters that great mystery that is life. He's submitting applications like crazy. So good luck, Eric. Yeah. Good luck, Shelby. Wish yeah. him all the best. Yeah. Graduation's next week. So yeah. yeah. Um, I guess the other thing, I not to maybe end on a down note, but uh, the Leopold Center for Sustainable Agriculture is on the chopping block, and uh, this is 
a bit sad because we have had projects funded through the Leopold Center, uh, and it's been a great resource for sort of starting things that um, that are done kind of locally on a small scale, and then building up to bigger projects. Some of the first work uh, I did with cover crops was through funding provided by the Leopold Center, um, and now we've uh, kind of switched over to some bee work in the last eight or nine years and the Leopold Center has helped with that. And that's been seed money that's allowed us to go out and um, get larger grants from other sources, both uh, public and private. There's still a chance that it might not go away. Um, right like now. what kind of chance? Uh, maybe a 2% chance. <laughs> yeah. uh, Pretty it, slim. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think at this point it's up to the Governor, if uh, if the governor decides that you know the, the the center could remain without funding, then it could kind of exist. But um, the funding is going to be moved yeah. to other things. Um, anyway, it was uh, good while it lasted uh, in existence for over thirty years, and one of the few centers like it in North America, you know, that focused on sustainable agriculture, not only for things like kind of small-scale local foods, but also for big production ag, like corn and soybeans. Yeah, so, it's really sad news. Yeah. Affects us directly. Yeah, and, and our students, because mm-hmm. it, it provided fellowships, research assistantships to graduate students across a variety of projects. So, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a, it's, it's going to make recruiting and maintaining students here harder. Mm-hmm. So. I agree. Moment of silence. <laughs> okay, it's fast. <laughs> uh. Anything else? Um, upcoming events? Upcoming events. We have a few field days going on at Feel. Um, in a couple of weeks, we have one kind of for be- beginner agronomists. So learning how to Think about some of the early season issues of seed and seedling production, pest management, fertility, that kind of thing. I can put that up. That's uh, coming up in a couple weeks. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we have the North Central Branch of the Entomological Society of America meeting in June. Several of our students will be there presenting. Hopefully Mm -hmm. we'll see some people, some friends there. Speaking of, you became a 20-year member. Congrats. Oh, man, 20 years. You got a special pin, didn't you? I was surprised. surprised. I didn't realize I was that old. (laughs) That you were that old? Oh, no. 20 years is a long time. Yeah, in a profession. You know, I mean, sad. that's not just how old you are. That's how long you've been working in the bug life. Mm. Mm. Bug life for life. Mm. You know what's weird? I don't know if I should say this, but I have been a member of ESA longer than I've been married to my wife. Why is that weird to say? Seems weird. Seems a lot of people... Seems more committed to... You're not more committed. What, 20, how would you measure commitment? The length of time, right? I got a pin. <laughs> Do you think I'm going to get a pin for my wife? When we get to like you got a ring. What else do you want? Well, I mean, there's anniversary. I mean, most celebrate. people, like, uh, you know, are in grad school. Well, not most. A lot of people are in grad school before they find their spouses. So I don't think that's weird at all. Hmm. This is becoming uncomfortable. <laughs> you brought it up, dude. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, I, I knew my, my spouse, my wife, when I was in grad school. Mm-hmm. All I'm saying is, I don't think length long. determines intensity of commitment. That seems like a 
nice place to end it on. Okay. Although I would say, if she's listening, I wouldn't mind a pen, a little pen. <laughs> twenty years. Been in this relationship. Been married for twenty years. I think twenty years is paper. Is it? I know. I'm just no. kidding. I don't know. <laughs> you know those. I can anim- do paper. I can do paper. Right? Gold. Anniversary <laughs> gifts. Yeah. Or yeah. paper and wood. Yeah. Is it really a wood one? There is a wood one, yeah. It seems like something we could Google. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to because we're going to wrap this up, right? Okay. And uh, look for us. Um, Google soybean etymology. Aaron is sending out the tweets. Uh, Twitter at Aaron W. Hodson, all one word. Of course, you can email us, O'Neill at istate.edu and EWH at istate.edu. Mm-hmm. And you've marked out subscribed at iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. We're having a little bit of trouble logging on because... Specifically iTunes. We're having trouble ha- having people find us, but we hope to get it resolved with IT very quickly. Apologize both for that. that. And now if I'm following the script, the outro music kicks in. Yep. And we end yet another episode. Okay, till next time. So, <laughs>